listening to The Cooler Ring, a podcast made for manufacturing marketers. Here are Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Welcome to The Cooler Ring, a podcast for manufacturing marketers brought to you by Cooler Partners. My name is Jeff White and joining me today is Carmen Perry. Carmen, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing great, Jeff. And, um, you know, it's uh, I think it's really good to be uh, chatting today and, and kind of digging into the topic at hand that we have for today's episode. Oh, it is certainly something that is top of mind or coming to the top of mind for a lot of marketers these days. Um, it may be sneaking up on them, uh, as it were. Yeah, you have this uh, ticking time bomb of the GA4 migration that, of course, is in people's minds. And then I think, but that's just one part of the shifting sands of privacy and tracking and analytics, attribution, et cetera that marketers are having to navigate and uh, i'm looking forward to today's guest shining a light on it all for us yeah yeah absolutely so joining us today is justin rinaldi justin is the marketing director at safety speed welcome to the cooler ring justin thank you it's great to be on here talking about all these important topics and how we're going to solve the world's problems for marketers (laughs) (laughs) i love that our podcast is at the forefront of solving the world's problems it's uh you know, it's a heavy weight, but we're happy to bear it. But but think about it. You know, the fact that we get to spend probably about a half hour or so exploring this, you know, fairly nuanced problem that isn't live or die by anybody. Uh, that's a that's a nice place to be in. I mean, we should be appreciative of this in our world. Absolutely, absolutely. So tell us about yourself, Justin, and uh, tell our listeners a bit about Safety Speed as well, please. Yeah, so I'm the, I am run the marketing operations here at Safety Speed. Um, if you've ever been into Home Depot or Lowe's and you've had to break down lumber to fit in your car, in all likelihood, they're using one of our machines to break down the lumber. We're pretty industrial manufacturing. We also do a full line of wide bell sander, screw puck machines, edge banders. Um, different configurations of panel saws um, for different applications. Um, so it's pretty and pretty heavy B2B industrial. Um, a lot of cabinet makers, a lot of sign shops, a lot of small wood shops, lumber yards, all use our machines. Um, at Safety Speed, I run the marketing operations. Um, I'm responsible for our search engine optimization, um, content creation, um, web development, um, graphic design, social media platforms, overseeing the video production content, whether it's an intern or an outside source that does it for us. Kind of have a lot of responsibilities that I oversee. I also manage our e-commerce platforms, growing the e-commerce platform, and most importantly, staying on top of the algorithmic shifts, um, getting keywords to rank through um, within the search engines, whether it's Google, Bing, or any of the other ones out there. So you're wearing a lot of hats, my friend. <laughs> yeah, broad range of exp- expertise and uh, and responsibilities. Yeah, and I guess Justin, what really kind of excited us in 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 meeting you and kind of getting to know about your work um, is kind of this. Uh, well, there's I think there's a lot of exciting parts about it, but I can be easily excited by wood saws. Um, but um, uh, you know, the the way you're thinking about um the organization kind of navigating these challenges with respect to privacy and analytics i mean it it, it just uh, i think you've, you've kind of have a, a bit of a deeper thinking about it than, than, than many uh so i guess uh, kind of diving into that a little bit um i mean is it really the ga4 migration that's driving your 
kind of uh, immediate interest and in, in need to solve this problem? No, it's really the, a bunch of marketing activities and initiatives um, that are all dependent on data that's stored within Universal Analytics within Google, whether it's the conversions from Google, from seeing the conversion values from the Google Ads campaigns, um, the um, tr traffic from specific cities um, where you can filter by city by page um, within the website or the secondary path to conversion where you can see how long it actually took someone to convert um, within making an e-commerce transaction because for our business um, it you know it's not like buying a Kit Kat at Walmart on the way out the door. These we're dealing with pretty high um, point per transaction, uh, pretty high price point. So um, within the different parts of the marketing operations, pulling different data from Google Analytics, Universal Analytics, um, to support different marketing initiatives uh, and go into Google Analytics 4, uh, a lot of the information that we're, that I'm relying on is no longer available within Google Analytics 4. Um, and it's just interesting to see just how the shift is coming up quickly because the great SEO expert, um, Barry Schwartz, put out a poll on Twitter and I think about how many people have adapted to Google Analytics 4, and I think it was under 25%. So it's kind of like going in the door and walking right out because it's literally living in a whole new house, having to learn a, a whole new language to be able to adapt to and live through. So, Well, and it's interesting too, because it's not as if you're going to be able to run Universal and GA4 at the same time. Like Google has put a deadline on making this transition and everybody is going to have to do it whether they have prepared for it or not. So it's, you know, it's not like some other other applications where maybe you can run the old and the new simultaneously and kind of see how things are going once that date has passed. And what is the date again? It's later this year, isn't it? I think it's either, I think it's July 1, I think. July, yeah, that's what I thought. So basically we've got six months to kind of sort this out and, and, uh, and get everything going. Um, and I mean, there... There are challenges just in making the transition in, in terms of implementing GA4 versus Universal Analytics. And then there's the even bigger challenge of what you no longer can see um, and and how it works is, is completely different. It, it's pretty interesting. But I suppose, I mean, Justin, in this instance, I mean, I think because you're taking uh, a lot of action and marketing decisions as a result of the data, you're integrating it into your e-com planning, et cetera. You're, you're, you're gauging SEO uh, tactics because of the data or with the data. So, so you're, you're therefore more attuned to its impact. You know, when you think about that poll and 20, only 25% of people making the migration, I think you know, so many marketers and organizations, I mean, yes, they're tracking, but, but they're really not doing anything with the information other than looking at it every once in a while. Right. My guess is is that that's why you're a little bit more on it. Yeah, no, it, the information stored within uh, Universal Analytics has really guided almost every marketing decision I've made, whether it's 
Um, utilizing a third-party app like SEMrush to figure out keyword densities, keyword search volumes to integrate within pages to try and target different pages to rank. Um, but yeah, but the data data is key, and going to Google Analytics Four, it's kind of taking a shot in the dark now, unless you have your well-refined strategy with how you're going to be able to um, get the same rep to get similar revenue because. Um, with company, the companies heading into this transition, it's, there's gonna be a lot of communication that needs to be done. Um, and I don't think that a lot of marketers out there right now are prepared to be able to communicate everything precisely with what's happening in Google Analytics 4 and how it's different than Universal Analytics because I know I can't. I think that's an important distinction. It's one thing to say, you know, we can't make the ongoing iterative improvements and changes that we need to make to our campaigns and our work because we're losing a data source or it's changing dramatically. So we need to figure that out. But then what you just mentioned, it often means that our ability to manage up, our ability to uh, report to executive teams, et cetera, is changing dramatically. And that, that's got to lead to some pretty serious re-education of folks that frankly don't think about marketing all that much or certainly don't think about analytics all that much right and we probably had to educate them to begin with just to understand what we were already telling them yeah and i'm i'm chuckling to think about how some of that education is like okay it's okay if they don't really understand it they're they're getting this part of it so fine and we'll just let it go and now you're like okay we need to kind of expand it all over again Yep, and uh, the reality is that for anyone reporting on Universal Analytics um, on a, for a KPI, um, it's in all likelihood you're not going to be able to report on the the Universal Analytics. It's not going to come over the same way as it in G in Google Analytics for as it did in Universal Analytics. So it's you know I, it's just going to be weird, honestly, because it's a whole re-education of the relevant numbers and backing up how the numbers have changed. So, Have you started having these conversations already or are you kind of planning for them? Yeah. What, what has been the response from your, from the executive team? Um, right now I'm really working on seeing what um, first party data we can track more efficiently that we receive um, being more precise on number of communications um, with our customers, that um, whether it's calling in our email forms or on our chat on our website, just starting there to, to really track the number of people that we are getting because they want to give us their data to begin with. So I think that's a good starting point for us, um, as well as looking at SEMrush. SEMrush is a crazy powerful tool, but it's a lot of relevant numbers where it's the number is based on a calculation. So if they don't crawl your page, the numbers can be off. Um, so it's it's all in a database where this, the crawlers, you know, may or may not pick it up if they're scanning it a couple times a month. It's just it's not like having a straight from the source within universal analytics, I guess is what I'm getting at. So yeah, more more an estimation of uh, of your traffic and 
and, and those things because they're they're not seeing it all obviously um I, I think it is interesting you know the this move towards first party data and Carmen and I recorded an episode in the fall talking about how this was probably going to be the you know the the path forward it, it it's a bit like uh you know reviving Seth Godin's principle of permission based to building that permission based list a little bit more strongly and and kind of beginning to rely more on on the things that you own as opposed to being reliant on a tool that Google is providing um, and then changing and pulling out from under us. So what, what kinds of things are, are you looking to collect with first party data? And do you have a sense of kind of where you're going to take that and how you're going to use it? Definitely. Um, I think leveraging um, trustworthy vendors, um, new sources, industry sources is going to be vital for us. Um, recently at the end of December, we dabbled into our first influencer to reach, um, different, um, group of woodworkers that we've been missing. Um, the home hobbyist, um, the cabinet shop, the woodworker who wants to be engaged on social media platforms. So in all likelihood, we'll, we'll be going a bit heavier with influencer marketing, cutting back on, um, cutting back on email marketing um, unless we have their someone's consent that they are interested, which we already took a pretty big step back with our email marketing, focusing solely on engaged customers, engaged prospects, as opposed to mass emails. We found um, that when sending uh, an email directly to someone that we were getting like 60, 70% open rate while sending in a mass email, we would get like under a 3% open rate. And I think that's because of the cookie tracking on the emails going out to 5,000 plus contacts. So trying to leverage the data we have available to us to be able to make sure that our touch points are better touch points and can, it's a better use of our time for the actual touch point. Because we don't wanna, as a marketer, I hate, when someone gets an email and they say, I never signed up for this, I don't wanna be on it. It's like, well, that's a problem for us because we try and take good control. We try and curate our list and make sure that we're only marketing to people that are engaged with us because we don't want too many emails coming out. So, so I know that this is, um, it's, a, it's, it's obviously a, a kind of not quite the same uh, challenge as analytics but it's tangentially uh, uh connected um it's just kind of the management of this of digital consent and yep and the in you know enhanced focus on on uh, on that uh with gdpr and other uh similar regulations it, my my assumption is, is that you're kind of encountering those headwinds at about the same time definitely we leverage a hubspot for our um, CRM system. And luckily they have a pretty good um, GDPR compliance. They have a, they have it built in with their system. So it's easier for us to deal with um, those issues. So. Yeah, I think, you know, the, the GDPR question and, and kind of, I mean, it's, it's interesting that it's happening at the same time as the move to GA4 and away from universal analytics that more and more people are becoming um, 
aware of and, and concerned with the implementation of GDPR compliant um, cookie tracking or or lack thereof with implementation of tools like Cookie Yes and and stuff like that that you know end up actually hiding a significant portion of traffic um, from people who are used to seeing that information in their analytics. Um, you know, it, it's the kind of thing that feels like you're, you're becoming a bit more blind about what's actually going on in, uh, in the, uh, in the traffic that's coming to your site. You don't necessarily see, you know, 30% of it or, or uh, you know, perhaps an even larger amount or it transitions to direct and you don't know why, um, certainly a confusing time to be a marketer, but you know, we're, the move towards more privacy is the way it's going to go, uh, not less. How is that kind of idea impacting your strategies, especially for e-com where, you know, you're so reliant on kind of seeing that path of finding you and then making a purchase or considering something and then actually, you know, transacting online? Are, are you kind of thinking about the fact that you won't be able to see some of this traffic at all, let alone seeing it differently like with GA4? Honestly, um, I'm not too worried about it. The only reason I say that is because I, when I rebuilt um, the website two to three years ago, um, I implemented um, some pretty high-level strategies, rewrote pretty much 95% of the site. We focused on providing um answers to questions that people were having. If um, the Wayback Machine, um, I really relied on the Wayback Machine for seeing what websites were performing well, what pages were, what pages I needed to modify. Um, and looking back at it three years later, um, tell it by providing a lot of content, um, by loading up um, our pages with as much information as possible that helps a consumer make a buying decision that we could be ahead of the curve um, knowing that we're putting our best foot forward and that we're putting up, we're including the key attributes um, that people are searching for, that the breadcrumb navigation um, is where it needs to be for the crawlers to understand what is within our website, what we're actually trying to sell. Um, so having built that into place in 2020 uh, and refining it pretty much every month since, um, I'm very confident that our e-commerce platform is going to continue thriving um, because my number one goal is to keep providing relevant information that helps someone convert to make a purchase, whether it's someone in accounting that's getting a credit card from an engineer that needs to buy our machine for his plant 30 miles away, or whether it's an engineer that has a credit card and he's ready to buy, then he just needs to look at the product specs. He needs to understand and know, know what he's buying. So having as much information as possible um, with the right attributes, the right um, measurables, the, um, is the most important thing for me as we head into Google Analytics 4 um, because it's like walking into the house I left this morning but having it cut off and put on stilts and you know it's really just walking into a new house it's kind of real shaky 
So as long as I have the basis, the furniture, the foundation within the website and my systems that I'm living in, I'm confident that it's not going to be too much of a transition. I think that's important. Um, you know, in some ways, the, the, the right answer in 2018 or 2020 is the right answer today, right? They, but what you needed to do as a marketer in order to really serve the customer, yep. that, that hasn't changed as much as all the tool set and everything else right. you have to do with that. Yeah, as long as you're not doing anything black hat, as long as you're not cloaking with your ads campaigns, you know, I think it's, you know, I think it's, I think it's pretty easy um, heading into transition. It's just the information that um, that is going to be is going to be lost is the real unknown with how much that impacts and what reporting numbers it really is going to hit because it's I'm still working through my process of how I want to handle this and how I plan on it. It's a little scary at the same time knowing that I have a pretty good house on still to live in heading into this uh, shift on July 1. So you bring up an interesting point, you know, around ads and things like that. Are you exploring new media channels and new ways of kind of getting the messaging out kind of beyond the walls of your house on stilts? Oh, absolutely. Uh, there's a power in numbers. Um, having the right vendors, um, the right industry partners um, is really important. But looking after looking at um, going after new and emerging technologies, um, influencer marketing, obviously being the big one for us, working on a couple influencers for 2023 that I think have pretty good um, opportunities. Um, and it, just looking at like what has worked, what has not worked, obviously with magazines and print that, you know, that's a, that's probably a whole nother, Web, that's a whole nother podcast recording just about the media trends. Um, but it's a big part of marketing strategy is having the right graphics, having the right people backing up your products and supporting it. Because as a manufacturer, there's only so much that you can provide without, without beating someone over the head being too biased, you know, without having the message be too biased because, oh, it's coming straight from the manufacturer, as opposed to having an actual woodworker, um, sign maker that tells someone about their product and they buy it from you. You know, that has a lot of legs because it opens up another door of, well, could they do this with, could other sign shops do this? You know, could other woodworking shops advocate for our product and drive us revenue? Especially with challenges within um, dealers and resellers, you know, that have 2000 SKUs they're trying to sell. So it's interesting to see who consumers find is credible and how do we get to their, um, to people that are engaged by them, whether they're doing um, different projects on Instagram or they're on um, different um trade shows presenting at trade shows. It's how do we work with them? How do we work and promote our product together? Because we're seeing a really big shift in um, how people decide to convert and where they decide to convert. It used to be heavy on email marketing and it's really started to steer away from email marketing. It's, I don't know, it's a lot of going to Google, finding it. And it's like, you know, there's 
if there's some concerns heading into Google Analytics 4 is do we know which keywords they're coming in on? I'm not sure that's going to be accessible. So It feels like there's a, it's interesting, we've had, um, we've had other B2B tool companies on the podcast in the past and thinking of Klein Tools and National Nail and, and, a, and a few others. And the, the drive towards the use of influencers to um, create interest in the product and, um, you know, get new product launches out there. Are, are, are you exploring kind of primarily around new product launches with influencer campaigns or are you doing that with uh, with just everything that's available and just sort of looking for people who are using the product day to day or are you actually kind of involving them directly in the creation of new products how far are you going yeah both um because our company was founded in 1958 so we have a lot of legacy products that is kind of our flagship so everybody knows our company for the panel sauce. Um, and we do it well, but we want to market it better at a higher level. So my goal is to find uh, people that align with our values, that align with our products, and that aren't just going to use it through the contract and get rid of it, but actually have a place for it um, in their day-to-day life or in their day-to-day business operations that is actually knows how to take care of the machine and it's, it's not just going to sit in storage for a year after they're wrapped up using it so it's interesting to me to think about like how it's a it's a bit of an in, a different muscle for marketers to flex um you know there was a time when you, you could uh, be doing a, a pretty full suite of, of, of marketing things and never never leave your office, never leave the, the, the computer screen, really. Didn't have to collaborate with folks too much. It could pretty much be your kind of a, a one-person show in some respects. And as we, as, as organizations kind of have to, you know, like you say, pivoting from, say, email marketing to influencer marketing, that's pivoting from something you can do solo in some way to something that you now need to collaborate with other humans on which means other humans are messy um and uh you know they have preferences too that you may not know about in advance and um uh, i just think it's a interesting mind sh- mindset shift for marketers to be navigating and it it scales quite a bit differently too doesn't it i mean yeah how you think about scaling it yeah the metrics are obviously pretty trackable when you're publishing videos um with him Instagram, um, YouTube, knock on wood. Um, so it, it's really nice to be able to track, see who's commenting, the followers that come in, um, as opposed to like magazines where, oh, it's going out to 70,000, but you know, you're on page, you're on page like 63. And, you know, unless you have a QR code on it, someone scans it, you're not actually tracking it. You know, it's, a lot of magazines hit the trash can before they get open. So, yeah, no question from a traditional um, kind of print-based outreach to digital, which is a huge. Yeah, because uh, the price points are pretty much the same with the the magazines. You know, I I look at previous contracts that I was involved in on the magazine spend, and I 
don't want to throw up because of how much money was put into the magazine um, and print a side of it while seeing high, better results and strategies that have been implemented since on the digital side. So, yeah, I like to um, I like to to beat up on those trade publications pretty hard, um, especially their digital uh, what they do digitally because it's almost always. Uh, frankly, half-assed and um, and over overpriced, uh, and just kind of uh, running off of the legacy uh, benefits of their print publications, which are also overstated. So, yep. um, I don't think you're alone as a marketer uh, calling BS on that. But it, it can be uh, sometimes hard to convince the powers that be that have been in those publications for fifty years that maybe now it's time to give up the back cover. You know, yeah, you, you've had a, you know, a, a really interesting and uh, and far reaching impact on what you're doing at Safety Speed. And you've been at it a while and learning things and learning to adapt, you know, to these to these challenges that are thrown at you that aren't necessarily, you know, normally we're used to getting challenged by our uh, executive to do things. And now we're getting you know, um, new things that we have to adapt to and change, um, based on the technology and tools. What, uh, have you, can you recall a time where you experienced something like this that, uh, you know, that completely redirected your strategy in previously and, and how you might've approached that then? Yeah, that's an easy one. In um, 2019, about six, about three months on to the job at safety speed, our website pretty much crashed. Like we could no longer take payments from our WooCommerce platform. Um, like there, were, it was just, it just literally broke. So we had to shift the marketing initiatives instead of trying to get people to convert online to try and get people to call in over the phone while the website was rebuilt with all the content rewritten that I rewrote. So it was just, like it was just really chaotic because I was new on the job and went through that. And obviously the numbers took a tank my first year. Um, so it was just really uh, challenging to keep my sanity while the new website was rebuilt. And you know, obviously on website rebuilds, you know, if it if it happens within two or three months after the timeline you're in a good spot. So we we fought a lot of timeline issues too because we obviously needed to get our e-commerce platform up and running and it's just a lot to take on um, while still trying to manage all the day-to-day -day marketing up. So. Man, you've been through the ringer in the last yeah, four or five years. Yeah, it's amazing <laughs> we're uh, talking to you and you're still there to be fair. I know, right? <laughs> Well, Justin, it's been great to to share your story with our listeners today. I've uh, I've enjoyed getting uh, to know more about you and Safety Speed. Thanks so much. Yep, thank you so much. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Cooler Ring with Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Don't miss a single manufacturing marketing insight. Subscribe now at coolapartners.com/slash/thecoolerring. That's k-u-l-a partners.com/slash/thecoolerring.